0: I have been so, so, so excited to be able to share with you what I have seen God doing in my life recently through his word. This idea of newness is everywhere, right? Obviously, January 1st, new opportunities, new people, new possibilities, new jobs, new, 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 new resolutions. I want to be... New in this way. I want to be healthy. I want to to do this. I want to do this. New, 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 new. Today, I want to talk to you about how there are actually two things in all of our lives that are not new at all. Two things that are repeating through all of our lives. As we go through this time reading God's word together and meditating on it. I have been praying for you to be drooling over this text, hungering and thirsting for what God's word is gonna say to us today. As we go through this, I want you to be praying, Holy Spirit, show me your truth, reveal to me your word. Today, I want us to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And in in a really weird passage, It's quite obscure. It's one that Tim Ammons actually talked to me before the service. He said, I don't think I've ever heard anybody talk about this from the pulpit before. And I was like, neither did I. (laughs) When I first read this passage, studying through it a few weeks ago, preparing for actually a future youth group message, it broke me. The Holy Spirit just gripped my heart and I pray that today he grips your hearts the same way. Let's pray and we'll begin. Father, today, Lord, this morning, January 1st, I pray that you help us to start fresh. Let the past sins and the past worries of this last year fade away as we hold on to you, Jesus. And I pray for us today, Lord, to tear our hearts open and return to the Lord our God once again. Lord, for you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love. And you relent from sending disaster on us. May we see your glory today, God, in the face of your son, Jesus Christ, through this story in Genesis. Amen. In the beginning, God created. He created. Everything was new. Humanity had a new opportunity to even exist. And then they go and mess it up. And as you move through Genesis one through eight, you see how mankind has just fallen. And you get to the point where God regrets making them And so he wants to destroy them and start over. He chooses Noah and his family to survive, to be safe. He asks Noah to build an ark to save his family. It takes Noah a long time to build this ark and eventually the floods come. And on this ark are his family, animals, and God brings them to safety. They get off the ark and God makes a covenant with Noah. He says, I will not send water to destroy the earth again. And he hung his bow in the sky, what we call a rainbow as a sign of that covenant to remind God of what he's promised. And this is where we pick up. Genesis chapter nine, verse 18. Genesis chapter 9, verse 18. As we read, let the Holy Spirit grip your hearts. It's such an interesting passage. It's a heartbreaking passage. But man, when we get to the end, oh, it's so, so good. It's so, so sweet to hear the words of God today. Let's jump in. Genesis chapter 9, verses 18 through 19. Noah's sons who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were Noah's sons, and from them the whole earth was populated. This is a new opportunity for humanity. They get to start over. God just wiped out everyone because of disobedience, sin, wickedness. But Noah had a relationship with God based on faith. And God saved him and his family. There's a few things to notice here before we read on in our passage. We need to pay attention to names. I tell our kids in the student ministry, names matter, guys. Names really matter. Make sure you're paying attention. So first, I'd like to look at Noah's name. We see in Genesis 529, it's actually a genealogy that leads to Noah. And it says that his father named Noah... Saying, this child, this one, will bring us relief from the agonizing labor of our hands. Caused by the ground the Lord has created. This one, he will bring relief. He'll bring relief. This is it. God has just made a new covenant. Everything's new. Noah's done it. He's built an ark. He's faithful. The second thing I want us to see, the second name is Shem. His name actually just simply means name, right? Can you imagine naming your kid name? Like, hey, name, come here. Remember this though. Oh, this is an important name, remember this. The last thing I want you to see here is this weird phrase, Ham. Ham was the father of Canaan. And besides being a delicious main course at your guys' Christmas meals, right? Ham is said here to be a father of somebody that we haven't heard of yet. But this Canaan, this Canaan is going to be a descendant of Ham, as you see in Genesis 10, as you move on. And Canaan has a big role to play later in the Old Testament. Let's move to verses 20 through 23. Noah began as a man of the ground And he planted a vineyard, a new start. But hang on. I thought this guy was supposed to relieve from having to toil in the soil. You know what I'm saying? He's supposed to relieve the agonizing labor of having to work the ground. But yet, here he is. He's being a man of the ground. And some of your translations will say farmer, farmer or man of the soil, the word for ground here is actually the word in Hebrew called Adamah, Adamah. And that's actually why we call Adam, Adam. If you read in Genesis two and three, the reason he's called Adam is because he was made from Adamah. Noah finds himself getting off the ark and getting right back in the dirt. I thought things were gonna be new though. I thought this guy was gonna keep us from having to do all that. I thought Noah was supposed to bring us relief. Things were supposed to be new, but something is happening here. Something is happening here. Let's read on, verse 21. Noah drank some of the wine, he became drunk, and he uncovered himself inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his two brothers who were outside. So Noah works the vineyard, makes some wine, passes out drunk, and then he's on the ground naked in the middle of his tent. Nakedness in the context of this ancient Near East, it represents shame, dishonor, guilt. When you look back at Genesis 3, this nakedness is one of the first things that Adam and Eve realize after they've sinned against God. Noah has dishonored himself. He's brought shame into his own tent, his own home. I thought this guy was going to be it, you know? I thought he was going to relieve us from all this, and here he is just passed out drunk on the ground? Ham sees his father naked and tells his two brothers outside. Ham sees the shame and dishonor and guilt of his father. And he runs to his brothers to either mock or gossip, but just to tell them. Let's keep reading verse 23. Then Shem, Shem and Japheth took a cloak, placed it over both their shoulders, and walking backwards, they covered their father's nakedness. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father naked. So they put this cloak on their shoulders, and they just walk back and they just lay it on their father, who ashamed himself. Notice the contrast between the brothers. Ham sees his father and goes and tells his brothers, Shem, the man named name, and Japheth, take a blanket and cover their father's nakedness. Walking backwards so they never see his shame. They never see his guilt. And they don't see, they don't see their father's Ham's actions were dishonorable, while Shem and Japheth's actions were honorable and good. Let's move to verse 24. When Noah awoke from his drinking and learned what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Canaan is cursed. He will be the lowest of slaves to his brothers. He also said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, Let Canaan be Shem's slave. Let God extend Japheth and let Japheth dwell in the tents of Shem. Let Canaan be Shem's slave. So Noah wakes up from his drunken nap and he responds to what his sons had done. And notice a few things here with me. Noah woke up and cursed Ham. No, he doesn't. He curses Canaan. He doesn't curse Ham. He curses Canaan. That's interesting. That's weird. Why not Ham? Why Canaan? Commentators say that this is to be seen as a prophetic curse. And this is in connection with how Israel is going to occupy the region of Canaan, conquer the people of Canaan, and eventually enslave the people of Canaan as well. Notice the emphasis here. Your translations say, most of them will say, the lowest of slaves, but I've I've supplied you with with a a very literal rendering of what that phrase is in Hebrew, it actually says, a slave of slaves. How low is that? You're not just a slave, you're a slave of slaves, a servant of servants. A very intense curse for a very intense sin. Second, look with me at verses 26 and 27. Notice how Noah blesses Shem? No. He blesses the God of Shem. Man, he doesn't bless Shem. He blesses the God of Shem. And then to Japheth, he prophetically blesses for God to lengthen Japheth's life. In the Hebrew, the word for lengthen is actually Japheth. (laughs) There's a little play on words here. Noah is prophetically blessing God to Japheth, Japheth. Noah ends this by blessing Japheth and Shem to to share a special brotherhood of love together in the presence of God. Notice that Noah has identified Shem and Japheth with God, the same God who sent Noah onto the ark. You guys have done something in the character of God. Blessed be God. God. The God of Shem. Shem and Japheth have stayed in the presence of God and have acted in a way that is pleasing to God. Their actions have represented the very heart of God. Blessed be the God of Shem. Blessed be the God of Shem and Japheth. Let's move to verses 28 and 29. Now, Noah lived 350 years after the flood. So Noah's life lasted 950 years, then he died. And that's the end of the story. That's the last you'll hear of Noah. We look at his age and we're like, who cares? (laughs) It's just, just some numbers. But that 350, that 350 is very interesting. It has a lot to tell us, actually. Seven fifties or fifty sevens. For those of us who don't like math, fifty times seven is 350. Seven is a complete, whole, holy number in the Bible. Seven. Noah didn't live seven years after the flood, he lived fifty of them. Fifty is also a very significant number. In the Old Testament and the New Testament. Think of Pentecost. 50 days. He lived 57s. After Noah sinned, he had a new opportunity, a new chance. He sinned. Yet God allowed him to live 57s. Who is this guy? Don't ignore the numbers, just like we don't ignore the names. So in comparison, this is where things get real spicy. This is good. This is good. In comparison to this text, it's important for our purposes today that when reading this, we need to read it within the context of what's happening in Genesis 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. And if you've been reading closely with me, you would have noticed a few ideas, a few words that were actually similar to Genesis 2 and 3. I have a chart for you. I love charts. The highlighted portions on the chart are actually the same words in Hebrew. They're from the same, the same roots. The, the bolded and, and italicized and underlined words, those are the same ideas shared between the passages. And if you look with me, Genesis 2 7. Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground. Genesis 9. Noah began as a man of the ground, the Adamah. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden. Genesis 9. And Noah planted a vineyard. Adam and Eve ate from the fruit of the tree, Noah drank from the fruit of the vine. The woman saw that the tree was good for food. Ham saw his father. Then both of their eyes were naked and they knew they were naked, or they were open and they knew they were naked. Ham saw his father naked. Genesis 311, who told you that you were naked? Ham told his two brothers outside. Adam and Eve covered themselves, they hid themselves. God clothed them. Shem and Japheth covered their father. Why did the author do this? This is, this is weird. The scriptures are showing us a pattern. The scriptures are showing us that though there are new characters, new opportunities, new situations, new possibilities, there are two repeating ideas we're supposed to notice. These ideas are not only repeated here, but when you read the rest of the Bible, you see this pattern occur, 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 and into the New Testament. What are these two ideas? What are these two repeating ideas? Here's the two main ideas that are true for everyone throughout all of history up to today. This is what the author of Genesis is doing. This is what Moses is doing when he's writing down Genesis 9. The first repeating idea is that sin is a constant problem. Sin is a constant problem. What is sin? Sin is a rejection of God's rule and reign in your life. God is king, but we have denied him his rights. It's a rejection of God's will and God's way in my life, in your life, from the time that we were born. Sin is a rejection of God's truth and God's grace. Sin is something you're born into, and there's no escape. There's nothing that you can do to solve the sin problem yourself. You can see this sin resulting in your actions and attitudes and thoughts and intentions to ignore God, to glorify yourself, to rebel against God and mock him. Why is sin a problem? Paul says in Romans that the consequences of sin are death. This death keeps you from being a citizen of God's kingdom. This sin keeps you from being in a relationship with God. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, men who have sex with men, no thieves, No greedy people, no drunkards, no verbally abusive people or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. Sin is a repeating problem in the Bible, in history, in my life, in your life. Now, there is a second repeating idea though in this passage throughout the Bible, my life, your life, throughout history, and it's this. Our God constantly wants to cover people. What kind of God is this? Who exactly is this God? Islam says that their God is too far from us. He would never touch sinners. He would never touch people. We're too dirty, we're too gross. Greek and Roman mythology said Zeus and Jupiter, they're actually guilty of doing everything that we do. There's no concept of sin except to say that they don't exist. The one true God tells us exactly who he is in the Old Testament. In Exodus 3, Moses meets this God in a burning bush, and he tells Moses his name. God identifies himself as Yahweh, I am who I am is how that translates. I am who I am. This Yahweh is not a God who changes. He is who he is. He will always be who he is. Psalm 90 verse 27 says that God, you remain the same and your, your years will never end. You remain the same. He's the eternal God. He's the God who has always been and will be. He never changes. He's never changed and he never will change. So that's who our God is. That's who my God is, Yahweh. What is this God like, though? What is Yahweh like? He is who he is, but, well, who is he? (laughs) Yahweh tells Moses in Exodus 34 exactly who he is like, what he is like. I'll read this for us. It says, This is Exodus 34. It says the Lord Yahweh is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished. He brings the consequences of parents' sin on their children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation." Our God is good. Our God is just. Yahweh is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, faithful in his love. He's forgiving of sin and rebellion. This is who Yahweh is. This is who Yahweh will always be. What does it mean that our God wants to cover people, though? The word for cover in Genesis 9, 23 is connected to the idea of forgiveness. Forgiveness. David in Psalm 32 says, How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. It's the same word. Whose sin is covered. Psalm 85, too, says, You forgave your people's guilt, you covered all their sin. Though sin might separate us from God, God wants to cover the people who come to Him, who trust Him who place their faith and their hope in him, who recognize him as the rightful king, who recognize him as the one who gets to rule and reign in your life. God removes the penalty of sin when we have a relationship with him, when we come to him. Noah came to God in faith. And he lived 57s after God destroyed everyone. In Genesis 3, when God sends Adam and Eve out of the garden, he covers them with clothes so they no longer have to experience their shame. He dresses them before they leave. and He makes them leave out of grace. He makes them leave so they don't take the fruit from the tree of eternal life so that they're forever stuck this way. Our God, Yahweh, is a covering God, guys. That's who he is. Nothing can change who he is. In the book, Knowing God by J.I. Packer, J.I. Packer, he talks about the great significance of Yahweh's name and unchanging character. He says this, he says, strain or shock or a lobotomy can alter the character of a person, but nothing can alter the character of God. He never becomes less truthful or merciful or just or good than he used to be. The character of God is today and always will be exactly what it was in Bible times. So these two main ideas are seen moving from Genesis 2 and 3 into Genesis 9. It moves throughout the Bible and it moves into our lives today. There's a sense of newness all around us, yet these two things remain. So today, there's two groups of people here. There's two groups of people here in this room. You needed to hear that sin is a constant problem for everyone, for all of our lives. Yet you also needed to hear that God constantly wants to cover people's sin and bring people back into relationship with himself. That's for both groups. We all need to hear that. The only way to have a relationship again with God to find safety is to have your sin covered by God. And so this first group that's here today are those who have had their sin covered by Yahweh. Those who are now children of God, those that the scriptures call new creations because of Christ. He has made you new. He has made you new. So for this first group, there's two things I want you to hear from this message today. First, your responsibility is to help cover your brothers and sisters' shame. It's to help cover others. I don't mean to cover people's sin like God does, to take away the penalty of sin. I don't mean that. That's what Jesus did for you, for Christians. And I don't mean to help hide sin. That is sin. So to, to hide sin is just, you know, just dumping more sin on sin to make it go away. Now, what I mean is that when another Christian has sinned against you, your responsibility is to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to be the representative of Yahweh, your God, to cover their sin. How? Why? 1 Peter 4.8 says, Love covers a multitude of sins. When someone has sinned against you, man, your responsibility is to love them. Why? Because you did that to God. And while you were still a sinner, Jesus died for you. He covered you. He covered you. You cover others. Secondly, for this group of Christian brothers and sisters of mine here in this room, If you have had your sin covered by God already, yet you're struggling with sin still. Jesus has paid the price for you and you trust him. But there's something that's just pulling you down. And it can be a multitude of things. Gossip, pornography, hatred, tension between you and another Christian. It can be how you talk to your spouse. It could be how you view people around you. It could be pride. I have great news for you that passage in first corinthians 6 i didn't finish reading but now i will don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit god's kingdom do not be deceived no sexually immoral people idolaters adulterers or males who have sex with males no thieves greedy people drunkards verbally abusive people or swindlers will inherit god's kingdom and some of you used to be like this you used to be But you were washed. You were made holy. You were sanctified. You were justified by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You used to be this way, but Jesus has covered you. Remember that. Noah was covered by the name in his tent. Jesus has covered my sin. The name of Jesus. By the name of Jesus, my sin has been covered. If you're struggling with sin, remember that. Repent from your sin and turn to Jesus. Repent from your sin and turn to Jesus. Repent from your sin and turn to Jesus. The second group of people here are those who have not had their sin covered. You come into January 1st, 2023, and you've either convinced yourself that you have been covered by Christ Jesus himself, or you are just here today because it's like, hey, it's a new year. I want to go to church for the first time to start the year off right. I haven't been to church in a while. I don't know what we're even doing here. The second group is you. God's word today is here for you. King Jesus is here for you. I have great news for you. There's nothing you can do on your own to become spiritually alive, to find hope, peace, joy that lasts forever. You will never find forgiveness of sins outside of Jesus. All the good that you wanna try to do to cover up and hide your sin, it will never work. Jesus has given us a new opportunity for a relationship with God. It's through Jesus, by the name of Jesus, that the possibility of being a new creation exists. God made a way for the eternal consequence, the eternal penalty of sin to be erased, to be covered, to be removed from you. Just like how Noah's was. He lived 57s. God did this because of his great love for people, for you, for me. He loved you so much that while you were still a sinner, Jesus died on your behalf. That's my testimony. While I was still a sinner, 2,000 years before I was even born, Jesus died for me. He did the same for you. He did the same for you. He lived a perfect life on your behalf. He died sacrificially to pay the penalty for the sin that drenches our hands. And then after dying, he rose from the dead to secure you an opportunity for new life. I tell our kids, and I love this image, but the resurrection of Jesus is a receipt, a receipt. You can walk out of the grocery store with a receipt to prove that you own what you've bought. The resurrection of Jesus is a receipt for you. When you place your hope, your faith, your trust in Jesus, you're on that receipt and he gets to walk out the grocery store with you. He owns you. That's proof. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 24 through 25 says this. I'll read it for us. Because Jesus remains who he is forever, he holds his priesthood between you and God permanently. Therefore, he is able to completely save anybody who comes to God through him. He always lives to intercede for them. Jesus is the only way back to God. Jesus is the only one who can truly cover your sin You can become a new creation today, free from the penalty of sin. You can find joy, peace, hope, a place of rest, a place of safety only in Jesus. John 1, 12 says, to all who do receive Jesus, he gives them the right, the ability, the power to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. His shim. Noah was covered by shim in the middle of his tent. My sin has been covered by the shim of Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. God, you are good, you are compassionate. You are slow to anger and abounding in faithful, faithful love. Lord, you are a God who relents from sending disaster. Why? That's just who you are, God. That's just who you are. You've never changed, you never will change. It's who you are. When you said, let there be light in Genesis one, that's who you were then. A God who saves, a God who loves, a God who rescues. That's who you were in Genesis 9, using your two servants to cover the sin and the shame of Noah, your servant. God, it's who you are in the face of Jesus Christ, the one who covers my sin, my shame. All glory and honor and power be to your name, King Jesus, forever and ever, amen.